Welcome to episode 776 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team. Welcome along to episode 776 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How are you going, mate? Pretty good. Pretty happy. Wait. Shortest day of the year yesterday. Oh, I tell you what. I love the shortest day of the year. Because you're going in the right direction, aren't you? Yeah, everything's looking better from here on in. Going in the right Apologies way. to the Northern Hemisphere, but your shortest day, your longest day has just been. It's all downhill. Yeah, the only problem is it's, you really don't notice it for the first month. No. You, you know, you really don't. But we're going in the right direction. And I'm happy with that because I'm with John. I like heading in the right direction. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our awesome patrons. You go first, John. Alan Iron Palm, Kupta's Chain. We've got Jeff the Explosion Curry. Andy the Lion King Cipollini. Matt Albatross Young. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got to do one of our Legends of Triathlon show. We're putting it on here, but it is with who? Leander Cave, multiple world champion over 70.3 Ironman, ITU long distance and ITU Olympic distance. When you've won those four titles, I think it's fair to say you are a legend. Absolute legend of the sport. And really good interview as well. Wanger of the Week, questions and answers at the end. So let's get into it, John. We've got news. The big news that we're starting with is that we've got Mano O'Mano, one-on-one, Fredino versus Sanders happening in Germany. This is going to be interesting, and I am more excited about this and this type of event than, say, the sub seven, sub eight uh, malarkey that's going on with drafting. I remember, remember, remember in 2000 they did Tim Reed versus Tim DeBoon. It was a fizzer, yeah. And it was a fizzer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this potentially could be a fizzer as well in terms of the win. Yeah. But. The, what the I, event was a fizzer. What I like about this event is it's twofold. I mean, they're the two biggest um, stars in the sport, you'd say, in terms of long-distance racing. Well, actually, what was interesting, if you read, when you read the article from Swift Twitch, they are also the two biggest followed people on Swift, including cyclists, mm. which so you it, wouldn't have picked, would you? Initially, when I saw it on Zwift, uh, the, the announcement, I thought they were just having a, a race on Zwift, but it is going to be a... Um, Mano Mano race yeah. in, in, in the Algar in Germany. Um, so there's two things going on. It's going to be a race between the, the two of them, but they're also going to see if they can go the fastest anybody's been over the iron distance. Um, the course sounds like it's super fast, beautiful setting. Uh, so let's let's wait and see. But I, I, I'll get more excited. Say they did something like each year we're going to get the 10 fastest males and females and put them as a time trial somewhere in the world on a, um, a course like this or multi-lap course, stay stay start them every 10 minutes or whatever it might be and see how fast they can actually go. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be cool. Um, whether or not they have a fantastic weather day and they both choose to empty the tank, you know, in July could be potentially pretty hot. So, you know, the, the other program where they're trying to do the sub seven, sub eight, they're trying to optimize everything in terms of the timing. But uh, I think it's going to be interesting. And uh, I think, um, you know, Sanders... Didn't need too much bait to go over there. I think he idolises Fredino and wants to take every opportunity he can to to race him. Um, what do we know? Do we know Fredino's uh, race calendar? Like, well, is he doing one of the big German races? I, I I think this is going to be it. You know, he'd normally be doing Ironman Germany yeah. about the stage, but um, uh, Ironman Germany I think is later in the the year. So I think this is his big. 
you know, traditional races and iron distance race around this time. There's not much that on offer, not too much on offer. Uh, so he's going to go and set one up himself and see how fast he can go. And, and I think it's maybe a little pot shot as well at the, those guys doing the sub seven, sub eight going, you're going to have some time if you might do, but let's see how fast we can actually go with, with the normal rules that apply. So I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how motivated they are for it. And how deep they want to go. Yeah, totally. Because it's like, t- to get that level of performance, mm. you've got to want it like a, like you would trying to win the Olympic gold medal. Yeah. Um, and you against just one other guy, mm. you know, But and we look at the sub two, but that was a set up and that had the, the other people in the crowds. Um, yeah, I'm, cur- I'm, I'm curious. I'm, my prediction is it's going to be for Zoom. Yeah, I, I, I don't scrape, but I think the idea of it, if the PTO or someone like that said, hey, We've got to do things a bit different here. Let's get the top 10 athletes in the world. Oh, I, I, I get what you're saying, making an yeah. event that's a bit more about this. But for this event here, so they're going to say they're saying they have really good eight-hour coverage. I'm not going to go watch it. No. I will, I'll be interested after the fact. I might watch the wrap-up show. Mm-hmm. Whereas Collins Cup, mm. I'm going to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, Kona, I kind of, I don't watch the whole day, but I'll kind of come and go throughout the day. Um, this one here doesn't really stimulate me as a spectator. Yeah. I'll be curious to see. Um, yeah, but the other fly in the ointment here is Lionel Sanders is racing Ironman Court Lane uh, this and he weekend. Hasn't qualified, yes. Yeah, so that's gonna make him a who knows. He sometimes and bounces it's not, back it's pretty not, quick. It's like Sanders is going to be the favourite, but it's not like he's guaranteed the win. It's a decent field. Yeah, that is. You know, so it's it's going to be interesting to look. When when does this meant to be raced? This is going to be raced in mid July. So uh, I think it's one month from when the announcement was made, basically, over the weekend. Okay, we had a few races happening over the weekend. Oh, just who who, who do you reckon would win it? Uh, you'd think Fredino should pretty comfortably take that. Yeah. You would think, especially when Sanders has A, got to travel, and B, got to come off an Ironman two weeks before. Uh, the fact that Sanders always has to chase, and Fredino, although he does kind of lead the bike. But, yeah. <laughs> but does that give Sanders any advantage? No. No, no. I mean, Fredino's... He's a, just a legend, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, it would be a different story if it was, say, and I don't want to pick on Patrick Lang because he's awesome, <laughs> but, you know, an athlete that has got a stellar run, Yeah, uh, it might be a little bit I different. I actually think it would be a quarter race of those two. Langer versus Sanders. Uh, Sanders. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be really interesting, yeah. wouldn't it? You'd probably pick Sanders in that case, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. Because <laughs> you never back. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, we had a few races happening over the weekend. One of them was the Lakesman and Phil Whitehead, the big brown. Uh, send us through this one. Well, no, Phil Whitehead uh, didn't send us through. I, I put that down there, so sorry, oh. Bevan. I probably confused you, but Phil's a patron of the show. He's been a long-time patron, and uh, his family put on the race. And this is an awesome event. I know the, I know the part of the country, and I saw comments from a, a couple of athletes who were racing and just saying, it's cool. It's like a small-sized Ironman type yep. event. Yep but it's just got a better feel around it yep. and it's a beautiful part of the country and they got extremely lucky because I had an athlete racing there uh, and the forecast was pretty miserable and then the forecast was wrong and it was a beautiful hot day. Oh, don't you love that? So that was nice. So um, they had a great race up there, so go check it out, you poms. Uh, the winner of the race was Daniel Bluff. He did 8 hours 53 and 50 seconds to take that out by... <clears throat> excuse me, around about six minutes. And on the females side of it, we had Rachel Jeff take it out uh, in 10 hours and 52 minutes. So nice work. 
Uh, Des Moines, 70.3 happened as well. Uh, big, big fields in both of the races, both females and races. And the female side of things? Holly Lawrence took that out in front of Emma Pallant and last week's guest, Jackie Herring. Unfortunately, this race, and I've got to give Ironman some real credit here, they had to do a two-hour delay to the to the race for, oh. for weather reasons. Really? Wow. Um, and so the bike was shortened. It looks like it was probably half or a little bit less than half. But to be able to delay a race by two hours and still pull it off is pretty impressive, so good on them. Uh, on the boys' side of things there, we had Jason West take it out from Colin Cartier and Jackson Laundry. Uh, then we had Challenger. How do you say that, John? Challenge. I'm going to go Gansk. Gansk. Uh, and Sarissa Devers took that out. Uh, on the boys' sides, James Teagle took that out with a one-hour twelve marathon. Uh, so good on him. And Matt Trotman. I haven't seen his name for a while, and he was in second place. Okay, so the, when we're looking at the Collins Cups news, and they have actually given the qualify cutoff date is going to be the 9th of August this year. Uh, we've got some quite a few races to go still. So we're looking at the calendar here, and we've basically got probably another 20 races in front of us. And that's the challenge they've got. There's so yeah. many pro races. It'll be so good to have less races and more money at races. Uh, but they're spread. All over the place, and this is highlights the challenge they've got with their their ranking rankings. You know, athletes are all over the place. We've got lots of Ironmans in there, lots of seventy point threes challenge races. You got Ironman Lanzarote in July, you got Ironman UK in July, um, Ironman Lake Placid at the end of July. So lots to go in. So we may see a little, still a little bit of shift in the rankings. But my take on the rankings is, if you want to do well, you got to rock up and have three good races at three really competitive fields and then your points are locked in, and then you're not going to have much variability. It's like if you've only got one good race and three crappies, then it's, you're going to not do very well in the rankings. But if you've been nice and consistent at big-level races, uh, your rankings should be pretty decent. Well, I think what's going to be interesting is once we know who are the people that are qualified for the race, is will you look at it and go, that person fluked it? Mm. Or, or will we look at it and go, they're actually... You know, like I've, you know, I've won New Zealand Fitness Instructor yeah, three times. Now... The, the 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 thing about it is you've got to enter yourself, so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a bit of crap award, but most awards are like that. But when you look at everyone who's ever won the New Zealand Instructor of the Year, they're the right people. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in the in the fifteen twenty years it's been going, everyone is, you go, yep, that, they're all of the level who should be in there. So when we get to this point here, do we go? Mm, they missed a couple of people who probably should have been there. No, I'm looking at the rankings and I'm going that. Yeah, so at this stage? It's tricky with COVID um, because you have, you know, for say Kiwi athletes and Australian athletes and maybe South African, they haven't really had the opportunity in the last 12 months to go necessarily go to big races. Yep. But I think um, it's not that tricky to work it out uh, and, yeah. It's just a bit unfortunate if you haven't been able to race. That's that's where you feel for people. But I think the system's good. Yeah, and so ninth. And when's the race? It is in September, I think, or is it the end of August? Yeah, I think it's somewhere it's around the end of August. It's about three weeks before the 70s, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Okay, coming up this weekend, we've got Ironman Quarter Lane's going to be happening. And as I was saying before, the fields aren't weak. They are not weak fields. So, and then quite a few athletes that haven't kind of qualified. So, you've got Patrick Nielsen, seed to number one. Joe Skipper, I don't think, is actually going over. Um, Cody Beals, Lionel Sanders, Brent McMahon, Sam Long, Matt Russell, Justin Metzler. So, some pretty good athletes there. There'll only be, oh, there'll be two Kona slots. So, um, you know, when you've got Patrick Nielsen, Cody Beals, and Lionel Sanders, if they're all firing on all cylinders, plus oh, Sam Long's already got yeah, a Matthew slot. Matthew Russell, he's yep. a, you know, he's a strong athlete. So, you're going to have to go pretty decent to get. 
get a Kona slot there. Uh, on the female side, most of them have Kona qualified, so a little bit different there, but very strong field. You've got Carrie Lester, Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Sarah Pampiano. Um, so yeah, very solid field. A few athletes that have got asterisks next to their names, which means they're entered in other races, Imogen Simons and uh, Nikki Bartlett. So should be some great racing. I tell you what though, Bevan, we talk about the weather a lot on the show. I mean, Coeur d'Alene athletes are going to be talking about the weather a lot this weekend. It's forecast to be you know, a stinking hot day. Oh, really? uh, around about 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is for us Kiwis in, in the, the metric world, it is uh, mid to, to late 30s. Oh, that's uh, so it is going to be wouldn't, be... wouldn't be overly surprised if it does actually st- hold that they maybe shorten things a little bit when it starts to get that hot. I don't know. Wait and see. 70.3 European Championships are happening in, is it Inzenor? Elsinore, I think it's Elsinore. Okay, so, and a pretty strong field happening. And uh, when we look at the female race first, it's going to be really interesting. You've got Lucy Charles and Danielle Reef and Holly Lawrence all in this race. Yeah, Holly Lawrence did race last weekend as well, so she may or may not be there. But whenever you get a chance to see Lucy Charles against Daniela Reef. It's looking pretty good, well, especially because Lucy Charles, you know how the script is going to pan out. Lucy Charles is always going to be well in front out of the swim. Yep. You'd think Daniela Reef would r- ride up to her, but in terms of run, what's their, what are their predicted runs? Uh, so Daniela Reef is predicted to run 120 and Lucy Charles are predicted to run a 122, but her run you'd think is improving a bit. If they come off the bike together, that could be quite interesting. I'm just really curious to see, you know, because if we look at Lucy Charles, she is currently 27. Mm-hmm. Daniela's probably mid-30s now. I would have thought so. Yeah. So when that age moment happen? Because mm. Lucy at the moment is the next generation, isn't she? Mm. You know, she is, you know, at the moment now, it's not to say that someone else won't come through and take that spot. But at the moment, she is she's still so young in the sport. Mm. You know, she's got potentially another 12 years of strong racing in front of her. Mm. Um, whereas Daniela, you probably say, has probably got another five, six years at max. Yep. So I'm just kind of curious to see is there's this moment where we're kind of, Daniela's kind of just maybe over her peak and Lucy's kind of coming up. When's that going to happen? I think that's a couple of years away. Yeah, yeah. same, but I'm kind of curious to see. It'll yeah. be interesting to watch. Uh, on the boys' side of things? Boys' side of things, I've already closed the window. <laughs> but I, I noticed Rudy Von Berg uh, was was down to race and it's a, it's a strong, Magnus strong field. It. Magnus Detlev, he was he's one of the real up-and-coming athletes. I mean, he's already had some great results, but um, if he likes it... So Kyle Smith, I'm interested to see how he goes. He's our Kiwi fella who's done really well back in New Zealand. Really well. He beat Braden Curry multiple times. Max um, Newman? And Max Newman. Yes. Who well, we what's interesting is quite a few qualifiers for Kona are already in racing. So one, two, three, four, five, six qualifiers who are qualified for Kona already are racing. Now they've this got three slots. Th- yeah, but this is seventy point three. Oh, sorry. So yep, yep, yep. I'm sorry. Because it won't be for worlds. Long distance, will it? Um, okay, then, and what else we got here, John? A few other races happening. Coming up, we've got this weekend, we've got the Swiss Man, which is a fantastic extreme race. Uh, the Alpha Win Hudson Valley. So, Alpha Win is the old hit series that they've rebranded and called it Alpha Win. Uh, so, it seems to be the thing you do in America at the moment rebrand. Alpha Win, and then the other one, Challenge, changing, changing to. Was it Clash? Uh, Austria Extreme. Um, we've got another race in Poland and the Northwest Tri-Man in Spain. Sounds like a whole lot of fun going on. Uh, John's ITU update. What's been happening, Jonbo? We're starting to see some teams be named for the Olympics. Well, this is the and the biggest piece of news here is for people that don't follow the ITU very closely is um, they've gone for, you know, we talked about the Brownlee versus Yee conundrum. Yeah. And America had this challenge where you've got... Um, T- 
Taylor Spivey, who's done, she's always really good. She's just really good. You know, she's probably a usually sort of a, a best on the just on the podium, but usually sort of say three through ten somewhere. Okay. And then you've got Katie Zaveras, who was up until pre-COVID was just crushing everything and hasn't done anything since. Um, and there's some definitely some. She's lost her father. Um, surprise, uh, you know, unexpectedly. Okay. And so she's been she's been struggling like crazy. And so what do you do? Do you take the safe bet? And, and Spivey in the first two races of the year did really, really well. And Zaveris is like out the back door, like not even 10th or something. Like she's in the middle to back of the pack. Mm. Uh, and they went for Zaveris, which I think is the right call because she's on her day as a potential medalist. Spivey, you'd go, you're not going to get a medal. You might get a fifth or something like that, yeah. but chances are you're not getting a medal. So that, big, that is big a call. tough one, isn't it? Um, Alex G has been confirmed in the UK team. Not no surprises there, and uh, still lots of unanswered questions. I don't know who's made the Spanish team. They've got four real stellar men. Uh, last weekend we had the European Champs, um, which was uh, two a series of super sprint races. So they have a heat, and then got to get through the final. Hayden Wild he only scraped through to the final, but then got third. Um, and the race was won by Max Studer on the men's side. I was watching the females race when I was on the train the other day, and they had some technical challenges and didn't seem to have the feed for the second half of the run or the bits oh, that I saw. Anyway, Laura Lindemann took that out. So ITU action for this week. Big discussion this week. Uh, we asked, what do people what think would be some good formats to have at the Olympics? And uh, got lots and lots of talk. So I'm going to start with Thomas Quirk. Uh, he's got 700-metre swim, 400-metre Technical bike with traffic lights, traffic drivers, and moody lorry drivers torn on a mixed run on road to trail wildlife to manoeuvre. There's not a lot of serious uh, comments in here. Richard Simpson, uh, an elimination race. Plus, everyone gets identical single speed bikes and a multi tool at transition. Post the elimination, if, uh, at, uh, post the elimination, eliminated athletes every 2K on the run for a full contact Olympic. Distance bull rush. Creepers, creepers. <laughs> um, good old Jose, I'm going to say Jimenez, has got the uh, Super League Enduro, including the short shoot route rules. What was the endurance enduro? It was a three-lapper, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yeah, you did a triathlon three times back to back. I'm pretty sure they didn't have a break in between. And you could have the short shoot if you... If you won to the SPXA. Yeah, yeah, so I, I like the short shoot. I don't think it didn't really work at the Olympics, having gimmicks like that. No. Um... Stephen Bradley has got a quick one. Make the Brits swim in boxing gloves. Um, and Ken Barkham Bull do the swim, but add some sharks. Uh, yeah, so there's some random ones. Justin here. Dogan's got uh, the eliminator. For, what was the elimination format? Uh, so you'd have again, you'd have three races, and after each like race, off, you it? have. So I think I think they had. 20 athletes and it went down to 15 and then the last race was down to 10 athletes those races were great well the first two races are kind of non-events a little bit yeah because you just got to make sure you're not at the back don't mm. you yeah but you still have to win the third race, don't you? You do. Uh, Jeffrey Davis has got 228 non-drafting with athletes sent off 10-second increments. Highest speed sets off last. Uh, Scott Norris says an eliminator super sprint. Good old Gilbert. Gilbert um, Pinard just wants a full distance Ironman. That ain't happening. That ain't happening because <laughs> that's what Christopher Doyle also says. Kona distance should be in the Olympics. Yeah, well, I suppose if anything, it's, it's not a bad thing to have at the Olympics because the Olympics you just watch, don't you? 
you know, like yeah. you, you know, and especially if you just watch like a main feed channel where they're coming and going, mm. and they could just you know, and here's what's happening in the Ironman, bang, here's what's happening, you know, and then you maybe pull in for the last two or three k of the run, and it would make for a good highlights package like an Ironman, yeah. but yeah, who the hell's Joe Public's not going to watch an Ironman? No, not not eight hours of it. Um, Craig Kirkwood, I'll do his one because he's uh, well invested in this sort of stuff, knows what's happening at the top of the sport. Uh, says a super sprint heats and a sprint final. So that by, by by super sprints he's talking, three hundred meter swim, ten k bike, three k run, or there or thereabouts. So you do that for your heats, and then whoever, um, yeah, maybe you have four heats, and you, and you have twenty athletes in each heat, and then the top twenty go through to a sprint distance final. So sprint seven fifty twenty five. Nice, good old Jared Crump got here. It should be considered like athletics. Different length races are different for different different plus disciplines. So Super League style seventy point three and Ironman distance plus team relays, and an Olympic distance relay where individuals do one leg each only. Mm. Uh, best swimmer, runner, rider combo. That would be pretty cool at the mm. Olympics. Have you got like a Nick Willis? Uh, who's New Zealand's top swimmer? Um, what's that guy's name at the moment? Claire, Clara Bolt. Uh, he's a, he's a, oh yeah, he's pretty, uh, decent, he's pretty yeah. decent. And then you know, top cyclist. If you got one of each, that would that would be pretty cool. Uh, doesn't do do it for me. Oh, it's a good gimmick. N- nah, no. Yeah, but they do that in other sports. They do, but uh, the Olympics. That's like that's like the relays in swimming. Mm. You know, they get all the. You know, We've like, got the mixed relay and triathlon. We have got a relay. That's our gimmicky. No, it's not gimmicky. It's bloody hard fought and very competitive. Do you think we'll ever get a third? Third medal, third you know third race. No, no, because uh, you know they they do not want to increase the number of athletes. So no, I think it's tweaking with the system that we've got rather than uh, adding significantly to it. So I guess my thing would be I'd rather see it being um, not. I, I do like Olympic distance and it does favour a different sort of traditional athlete. Um, but from my point of view, I'd probably rather see heat, uh, heats and final format, whether it be super sprint or or sprint, um, and a bit more sort of shorter, more dynamic course. And I like the mixed team relay. I think that's that's a great event. I, I mean, of course, I'd like to see an Ironman distance race in there. It's never going to happen, but I mean, we never say never. But everything's going shorter and. Um, would you yeah. so what, 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 what I was looking at something else, what would you answer? Super sprint. Super so sprint. So would you want to heats and finals? Okay. Mm. That or Olympic distance? You had to choose. I'd go super sprint. Would you? Yep, definitely. But I'd like to see the heats and finals, so then it's not such a big I wouldn't really want to see seventy athletes going for it in the in in a sprint distance because They'll just stick together and it's less likely you'll have a breakaway. But if they go do heats and finals, um, then you have maybe 20 athletes in the final. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, and you get like three heats or something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, what would I like? I would like something like that. Like whatever Super League's been doing is just their formats, just mm. really interesting, mm. you know, and it's, it's Olympic distance is just a bit boring, I find. Yeah, it, you know, unless, I, unless you've got a really challenging field. Mm. Oh, oh, sorry, course. Mm. I, I, look, I, I don't watch a lot of triathlon as it is, but um, I will watch like a Super League mm-hmm. and I find it really stimulating. Whenever I will sit down to watch an Olympic race, it's like swim's kind of a bit pointless, you know. Mm. Bike, a bit pointless. Last bit of the run's pretty interesting. Mm. You know, so you kind of go, well, mm, I would definitely rather like a Super League where at the Olympics would be way better and way more public appealing. Mm. So, yeah. And whereas the team, Team Relay, love it. Yeah, yeah. 
Because it has got that dynamic of something happening. Yeah, totally. And, and it's kind of moving. It's a moving feast the whole time because mm. you've got different athletes of different abilities coming and going. And so, mm. and you don't really know if the teams, unless there's a really dominant team, um, but most of the time you're not really certain who's going to win it. And uh, the, the thing I like about the if you if, if you didn't go down the heats and finals, the enduro format in Super League is really cool because then you do see changes. The swimmers get away a little bit, and and you yeah. and the race is a bit more dynamic. It's not just one big group ride. And totally agree with you. Watching most ITU races on the bike, yeah, but that's the same as watching bike racing. There's nothing happening in bike racing. It's um. Uh, maybe we've just got short attention spans, Bevan. But I think but hey, but most that, people do. But that, well, and that's the problem for sport in the world right now. Because, mm. for example, I know the NBA is doing packages where they only show like the last five minutes of show. Because it's like people, especially that next generation, which are brought up on that kind of quick fix, um, <coughs> sport has to accommodate for that, really. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting moving forward. This week's question. What stock standard questions would you like us to ask the pro athletes when we interview them? Mm. Time for a change. It is. We're going to ask about the... Whether they wax their legs, because no no males seem to wax their legs. I'm, I'm like the one and only. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll add a few stock standard questions we'll ask the pros. Okay, we're going to interview with a legend of the sport, four-time world champion Leander Cave. Here she is right now. Righto, team. Uh, so we're back with a legend of triathlon, a four-time world championship. Uh, winning athlete across all distances, um, Ironman and Kona, 70.3, Olympic distance, ITU long distance, uh, so really did it all. Uh, so it's Leander Cave, welcome along to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, um, you, you've lived, uh, as people who don't know you very well, maybe if they're new, new to triathlon, you've kind of lived in different parts of the world. So I was really keen to get your take on, you're brought up in Australia, but you raced for Great Britain and now you're living in the States. Um, just a little bit about your upbringing in Australia and maybe contrast that to, to the different parts of the world you've lived in and um, why bloody Australia produces so many good athletes. <laughs> Well, I can give you the long version or the short version of this story, um, but I'll start with the short one. If you have any questions, I can go into more <laughs> detail. But when I was four, my parents decided to migrate from Great Britain to Australia. So we were um, a family of five and I was kind of put in a position where my family wanted to travel and see the country. So we took to the road. So when we were in Australia, my parents sold um, their Jaguar that they shipped over. They sold their house in the UK, bought a caravan over by ship, um, and then switched out their Jag for a four-wheel drive. And then we traveled the country for eight years that oh, wow. way uh, in a caravan in tow. Um, ended up having two four drives in the end. But yeah, 14, uh, eight years on the road. Um, traveling place to place. I think the longest we stayed anywhere was probably one year in that whole time. So we saw a lot of the country, but we're kind of a very nomadic family. And in that time, we, we sorry, I know I can see, I can hear you want to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mind blown already. <laughs> um, so we, uh, in total, I think I counted 13 different primary schools that I'd went to as a child. And uh, in that time or so, we did distance education and I went to high school uh, in Cairns, which is where we actually ended up uh, just because of um, 
needing to go to university. You have to spend three years in one place at one or at high school. So we kind of spent the most years like at the end of our travels in Cairns. Um, and so that's kind of my upbringing in a nutshell. Um, what, what, ways, what ways did it make it awesome and what ways with your struggles? You know, because that's not your, your traditional, uh, yeah, what's your traditional upbringing, but, you know, like it's it's pretty unique way of being brought up. And so for you looking back, what parts of it were you, were you kind of really treasure and what parts were you a challenge as a child? Oh, I hated it all. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't like any of it. Really? Yeah, I mean, we lived in a 19-foot caravan, family of five, chain-smoking parents, um, yeah, this is not ideal. And I was a shy kid. I make any friends at school. Um, I barely spoke a word. I was bullied. Um, in the, you know, the part I loved most was not going to school when we traveled and we were on the road. Um, we didn't actually attend school. And when we started doing distance education, I was the happiest person in the world. Cause I was like, yes, I don't now have to go to school and go through all this, these traumatic experiences I was going through for years as we went from school to school and you know it's hard to fit in as a kid especially when you um don't have like the friend network and you always just yeah the new kid in school and then you're the easy one to be picked on and the heart it's hard to make new friends lose friends make friends lose friends this is just like it was awful um I wouldn't recommend it. Any parents out there who want to do this, I would think seriously twice before you do it for your kids' sanity. What was your parents' um, motivation? How I ended up, how, oh, you know, my parents just wanted to see the country and they had three kids in tow, but, you know, they were like, well, they'll figure it out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think their intention was to, like, put us through, at least me. My sister actually enjoyed the experience a lot more. She was, a, she was more of an extroverted person, and um, it, made it, it made it a lot easier for her to make friends, and um, she had a lot more fun than I did. My brother, he's a little bit like me, so he didn't like, like life so much when we were kids. Um, and, yeah, it's tough. Like, my sister and I, we, we weren't. We're great friends now, but growing up, when you're living in those sort of tight, tight quarters, it's like you don't really get on. And I didn't have like even my sibling to support me. Like at school, I would, you know, have no friends, and she'd be like, "Don't come near me. Go find your own <laughs> friends." You know. So, but you know, at the end of the day, when I, I, if I, if I think back and what it gave me, and that's you know what I really reflect on in a positive way is like this ability to. Um, to just fend for myself, to have this like enormous sense of independence. And um, like you said, I've traveled all these different countries, lived in so many places. It's not something that scares me or um, or I find intimidating. It's just so easy for me to kind of be a chameleon, just fit in wherever I go. And as an athlete, especially doing what we do, where you have to travel all over the world just to compete, it made that that side of my uh, career very easy. Mm. So, um, so you, you yeah, mean, I mean, you sort of started your sorry. triathlon career um, at fourteen. Um, so I presume that those early years were just while you were still on the road, just um, doing what you could. And, and is, is, how did it sort of pan out as you were going through school? Well, you know, I started triathlon when I was actually at high school, and that's in Cairns. So that was kind of th- those three years where we had to be grounded. And um, at school, it, was, it started out as just a, a team sport that I was doing. There was like a regional championship. And I hadn't even done a whole triathlon at this point. 
and I just did the swim and the run for a team. Um, and my sis actually did the whole thing and there was a sprint. And I mean, back then I thought, Oh my goodness, that's so far. I can't believe my sister did all that in one go. And then after riding to school and running cross country and swimming like easily 5,000 yards or meters every day, I was just, Oh, I can easily do that. So I did it one day in, in a iron kids race and, I won and it was just kind of like this snowball effect from like doing iron kids to like doing sprints, Olympics, doing halves. Like it, it was a very easy organic uh, process where I developed uh, the ability to be a triathlete. And fortunately I had all these uh, access to all these different sports at a young age. And my parents really encouraged us to do swimming and surf lifesaving when we were kids, just so we knew how to be in the ocean and save ourselves and, you know, save each other should we be in a place where um, we would be alone. So it was really kind of helpful as at, at that young age to just have access and um, riding a bike to school was, you know, I chose to do that because it was quicker than the bus. Um, and just running after school was just another sport we did in, in the winter when we wouldn't swim because we didn't have heated pools. So, you know, it was easy for me to do triathlon at that age and get kind of really... Um, swept away with the sport and especially when I started winning I realized how competitive I was and I just kept wanting that that feeling of winning and um and just to be better and that yeah I'm obsessed with triathlon from that day onwards really <laughs> you, you speak about before you ended up in Keynes it was quite a, a lonely existence or, or you know there was definitely the isolation and the social aspect of it was pretty tough you know you, you suddenly become really successful at something uh, and I know maybe triathlon isn't, you know, the popular sport in Australia, um, but did suddenly the kind of attention you were getting from the world shift? And if so, how'd you handle that? Like teaching from my experiences as a kid or? No, attention, the attention you were getting. I mean, like, you know, like. Cause oh, sudden, attention. Oh, yeah. gosh. That, that accent. <laughs> yeah. I'm not used to it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it let's just say this, like sport was my currency for um, getting through life. And being that shy kid who didn't really have the social skills to communicate well and make friends, like when I competed, it was kind of my voice. And that enabled me to, to grow self-esteem and be recognized and be respected, you know, amongst peers, my peers, yeah. uh, and not be picked on, honestly. Like it, it just made it, easy, easy, an easier way, an easier path for me to navigate life. And, um, and, and what I learned and who I am today is completely from triathlon. Like I, I always say like triathlon or, you know, the sport was my, my, my teaching, my school, like every lesson I learn in life, it, it, it's come from sport. It's come from what I learned as being an athlete. Mm. Um, as, as you're sort of going through school and into, onto uni and so on, did you sort of slot into the, Australian sort of elite junior system or how, how do things develop from, you know, from those early days into actually becoming a, an elite and a junior athlete? Yeah, it, it did actually. So when I graduated high school, I went, I, I couldn't wait to leave. I went to high school in Cairns and I, I hated Cairns. I, I, and Cairns is beautiful. It's just like, to me, this dead end place where like dreams go to die. Like if you don't leave Cairns for me, there was no, like I had ambition. I wouldn't be the best, athlete in the world at the day right and I was like this isn't going to happen in Cairns so it didn't suit who I was so I was like dying to get out of Cairns so as soon as I could get out I went and I 
I applied for universities all over the country. And in particular, Brisbane, I was like really keen just to get, go, you know, south, not too far away, but get out of Cairns, but somewhere in a big city, right? And so I applied to Queensland University of Technology and I, um, I applied for all sorts of courses, but I ended up getting into education, physical education. Uh, and like once I was accepted, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I left and I was 16 at the time. Uh, because of the distance education I did as a, um, as a young teenager, I skipped grade uh, nine at school. I went from grade eight to 10. So when I actually graduated high school, I was 16 and hmm. I was left home and I'd started university. I think it was January um, of 95 and I was still a 16 year old at that point in time. My birthday was in March. So yeah, I was young, I was independent and I was like ready to like, you know, experience what I could in, and pave my way in the world. And, and was there a, a system in Australia that you could, uh, in Brisbane that you could slot into? So you go to university, but are you connected up with the Australian Triathlon program or anything like that at that stage? Yeah, sorry, I totally, <laughs> totally forgot to answer that part of your question. <laughs> yes, so then <laughs> I get carried away. I talk a lot these days. Um, I was uh, kind of talent ID'd um, at the Queensland uh, Institute of Sport. Um, and that it was this target 2000 or Casio, Casio target 2000 squad. And I was selected to be in that. It was targeting the 2000 Olympics because triathlon was going to, was about to, um, be debut at the 2000 Olympics that was in Sydney. So I became a member of this squad. Um, it's probably like 17, something like that. 17 or 18. I can't remember exactly. And I was also, so another, I think Courtney Atkinson, you probably remember that name yep. as well yep. as Matt Reed. We were all in this target 2000 squad. I don't know if any of us actually went to the Olympics, um, <laughs> at least that year, but um, yeah, we were all members of this squad. And I think that kind of gave me a lot of um, kind of confidence and um, backing to like go, Oh, I can actually be good at this sport. And, um, and so that was the first kind of team or group I was selected to be in. And then um, later on, I wouldn't say I was selected to be part of um, the Australian Institute of Sport. It was just where we kind of ended up going for training camps. And so I did spend a bit of time training down there. And then in that same time, I moved to New South Wales to train in Sydney. And then I got selected to be on the New South Wales um, Institute of Sport. So in, in these, yeah, so I was actually funneled through that system of um, like being selected in, in, you know, these selective elite sort of junior elite groups and teams and things um, and kind of groomed that way to be a, um, a, you know, really good triathlete. And honestly, that it, it was great. I was supported in part uh, financially, but for me, the, the most important thing that I was, that was ha what helped me was just the medical support and, um, the physical therapy and uh, speaking with like psychiatrists and things like that. I think that was huge for me, especially as a young, you know, young teenager, really. And at this moment, you're studying to do your degree, but is the ambition to be a professional triathlete or are you kind of just thinking, I'll do my degree and see what happens where you're at within your life at that moment? You know, I hadn't really had it planned out. Um, I was studying, I had, 
um, kind of deferred from what I thought I was going to be as a kid, which was a fashion designer. Um, and I put all that on hold because, you know, I wanted to just like get out of, out of care. And so I, you know, I went to university. My parents didn't give me an option. It's like university or you stay here. <laughs> so I come out. <laughs> so um, I didn't, so fashion design was not a course that was offered at university. So I had to like just say, okay, university. Um, so when I went to university, I, um, I studied for two and a half years. And then I had this opportunity to become part of, um, part of this team, this like team of athletes, um, not, not a part of the New South Wales Institute of Sport, but this other team of athletes that were being coached down in, um, in Sydney's in New South Wales. And that kind of, I was like, okay, I'll put my, I'll put my university on hold. I deferred. And then I went down to kind of train with this group. Um, one of the girls on the group, I don't know if you remember Jodie Meikle. Um, she was a professional Ironman athlete. She was like, you've got to come train with us. This is what you, what will make you, you've got so much talent. You can be so great. And so I went and went really on, um, off what she had recommended me do. Like this is, you know, you're destined to be a great athlete. So I went down there and I trained and I worked, ended up working three jobs because Sydney's not a cheap place to live. And, um, and I really had a taste for like, okay, I think I could be a, you know, really elite triathlete. And, um, but then in the end, I, it, I just was burnt out with working so much and then training so much. I, it, I just got to the point where I was, this was not sustainable. And I really struggled just to, um, to, to, be, to do the, training to the level I needed to do it to compete at the level I need to compete at to be good and I was still pretty young at this point and so I decided that I, I needed a break so I left Sydney and I moved back up um, to Brisbane and I was kind of in this place where I was like you know what I don't really want to go back to university I really hate teaching <laughs> and, and I wasn't any good at it because I was like I, you know, introvert. I didn't really have the, the social skills with kids. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go back to school and study what I really wanted to do the whole time. You know, I ended up just going back to um, fashion design, which I, what I always wanted to do. And I, I started loving it. And I started doing that for a couple of years and just competing in triathlon on the side and not really taking it that seriously. Um, Cause I just thought, you know, I can never be a great triathlete and having to work and so I was just like, I kind of put it to the side a little bit. Um, but then I got offered to be on this team in Germany, which was so bizarre and random. But um, the connection was someone in Cairns who saw me grow up and be like, you know, from this kid triathlete to like this junior triathlete. They saw the potential in me and they, they put my name forward to this German triathlon team and they accepted me. So I was like, okay, great. And I went over to Germany and I started competing in Germany. Wow, that's a massive sliding doors like moment, eh? Hey? Yeah, it's like, you know, just those chance, those yeah. random interactions you have in life, which yeah. one path leads to the next. And, yeah, massive. And then when I was in Germany, I was like, oh, I'll go over see my uncle who was living in the UK. And then I raced in London Triathlon. And then I met someone in um, at the London Triathlon, who was on the Welsh um, Triathlon team. And she's like, Neander, do you have any parents who were born in Wales? And I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Because she knew I was born in the UK or in, in England. But 
I was like, no, I don't think so. She's like, well, you should, you should try and find out. So I messaged, or I called my parents and just randomly I brought it up in a conversation on the phone. They're like, my mum's like, you know what? I was born in Wales. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I messaged, I messaged <laughs> random, right? I messaged my, my, this friend um, and Steph, oh, I can't remember her name now. It's been so long. But I messaged her and she's like, yeah, you should compete for Wales. And I was like, huh, let me think about it got back to Australia, talked it over with my parents and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. So, you know, after that, that summer of being on the German team, going to the UK, I went back to Australia and I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. And so I ended up working, moved back in with mum and dad for a little bit to save money, worked at the Australia Zoo. Steve Irwin was my uh, boss hmm. and like? I worked my ass off to save up enough he was freaking awesome. Really? <laughs> yeah. He was a cool, cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was so funny and he was such a um, huge personality. Like he would, and he was a storyteller, which is no surprise that, it, you know, he ended up having yeah. that TV show and having so much, such a huge following, right? He loved stories. He would sit down, we would have lunch in this like lunch room and he would come in randomly and like just start telling his stories from his latest trip in Asia or in, in Africa and like, but stories, these were different stories, different to the ones you'd see on TV, right? These were stories where he would like throw F-bombs and swear and like it would be a very, a much more colorful story than, you know, than the, um, the PG rated stuff you'd see on TV. So it was a lot of fun working for him. It was really cool. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we all know what happened there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of what I did. Saved up a ton of money, not a ton, but, you know, enough to get myself on a flight to the UK where I ended up saying, all right, let's do this. So moved, started racing for Great Britain, racing for Wales. Um, I think a year later, I went to the Commonwealth Games, got second or silver, if you like. And then that same year, won um, my world first world championships. I think I was 23 or 24 at the time um, in Cancun. Um, and that was kind of like, yeah. It's a bit of a crazy, kind of uh, and- a bit of a crazy elevation because I was going to bring up two thousand. So this is two thousand and two, and yeah, it was a golden year. Second at the Commonwealth yeah. Games, second at the Europeans, World Championships. What 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 was it that made that year sort of click? Like, did, were you were you going massively faster than you've ever been before? Were you training massively differently, or what? What the hell happened? Well, I guess. What happened is what I couldn't make happen in Australia. You know, when I said I was working these three jobs in Sydney, training a lot, and then I just like burnt myself out. It, that's not sustainable. What, what happened in the UK, I started racing in the UK. They gave me some funding that enabled me just to train, pay my rent, my bills, and, and live life as an athlete. And that made the difference for me. And I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I, I couldn't have ever seen, you know, people ask me like, why did you deflect? Why did you start racing for Great Britain? And you know, the, the easy non-judgmental answer to that is like, Oh, I just wanted to go and race for the country I was born at. But honestly, like the, the true reality was I was really trying to think how, what's the best path that I can take that would make me reach the goals I want as an athlete, which is to be the best in the world. And that was really like what I had to, to come to terms with was like, okay, I, I can't do it in Australia. I'm, I'm not able to, I tried and it didn't work. So this is the best path for me to start racing for Great Britain, um, racing for Wales, go down this route where I'm, I'm subsidized to, to train as an athlete and I can do it full time as a job. 
And that was what really made the difference for me. Did, did, did you ever regret not racing for Australia? You know, like if, I, if, if it was a system that like helped me in the way that Great Britain did, um, I would have taken it. Do I regret? It's hard to say now. Looking back, no. I mean, mm. I, like what Great Britain did for me, I was very thankful. And I, I mean, I grew up in this British household. So even though I was, I'm such like a hybrid here because I'm so British and so Australian at the same time. Mm. It's like, it was hard to say, but. Um, but yeah, I feel like as a professional athlete and, and where I need to go and, you know, this country embraced me and, and who I was and helped me in a way that like, you know, when we to, to honestly sit here today and tell you <laughs> all these stories about where I am and who, what I've been and what I've done, have all, all these titles to, um, to reflect on, you know, I've, I, I would say I'm, I'm a proud athlete to be. I'm a proud British athlete, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, I, you know, I was happy and proud to be wearing the British colors um, at every, every race I did. So it was a bit of a crazy year, you know, in terms of the your athletic success in 2002. Um, like we know, you know, winning Kona or winning the Olympics is massive and winning a world title is massive, but this was before the internet was going nuts and stuff. So was 2002 like a, crazy life-changing year I guess from attention and financial implications and so on or was it kind of you got the results it was awesome um, but then you just had to, to crack on with it yeah I mean I had a had a coach at the time Chris Jones who kept me very grounded and he probably gave me a week to celebrate and he's like all right Deanna just because you won the world championships, it doesn't mean that you're just automatically the best athlete in the world. You have to keep training. You have to keep racing. <laughs> so, great. so he was very realistic for me. Um, so, you know, I really, I, I did, I, you know, earned the, you're going to laugh. I, my, the paycheck that I won for winning back then was $10,000. Mm. And I mean, it's the most money that I'd ever seen in my life, but it, you know, it's nothing. It's the kind of what these athletes win now just for winning, not even a, world championship or world cup series just like in a 70.3 you could probably win ten thousand dollars so it's like the prize money shifted but you know life back then was different as a triathlete and yeah so i won this paycheck and i was like oh my gosh what am i going to do with the money and you know it depends on who i spoke to but i think my my priority at the time and my dream was to like own a house like i wanted to live in a house and after living and growing up in a caravan and then living in this tiny house, eventually when I went to high school and um, I shared a bedroom with my sister, you know, like I was just like, you know, I want to, I think this is what I want. I want to own a house. I want to have my own, like, I don't know. It was a dream. And I was like, I put that money towards owning a house. And yeah, I did get a lot of sponsorship um, at the time. I think I picked up Nike and, um, Mast, uh, Visa, 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 Master, I think it was Mastercard, um, and um, you know some other, you know, endemic sponsors like Oakley and a bike and, but yeah, I I was doing all right, um, and the goal was obviously to make the Olympics, right? Mm. And then unfortunately, maybe six months after or eight months after winning this world championship. Um, I came down with a, a back injury, um, 
back and hamstring injury, which honestly I never had diagnosed. Uh, I saw a lot of people, but no one ever actually diagnosed it. And if I reflect now, it's kind of similar. I had a hamstring tear after winning the Ironman in Hawaii, and I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. So I'm pretty sure back then I had a hamstring tear, and I was out. I was I suffered with this um, hamstring injury slash back injury for like months and months and months. So even though it was like leading up to the Olympics, I'm probably ranked maybe in the top five in the world at this stage. Um, I was really cutting it fine to even try out for the Olympics and to get myself in, in shape. Um, and it was unfortunate too. Like my sponsors were like, Oh my gosh, like we've, we've got a dud here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just won the world's leading up to the Olympics. And like, I've been injured the whole year. Um, and then I, I did actually manage to get myself back into some good shape after the, um, I got rid of this injury and, you know, I, I won some decent races, but um, I, I fell short of qualifying for the Olympics, which was such didn't, a disappointment. You, didn't, and, uh, yeah. From what I recall, didn't you qualify the third spot, but they didn't pick you? That was the next Olympics, I think. Oh, was that the next Olympics? Was that it? was, no. Okay, so this is what happened. I, so as a country, if you get three athletes in the top 50 in the world, three athletes can go to the Olympics. Yeah. Doesn't mean those three athletes are selected for the Olympics, right? It's the same as what's happening now. Um, mm. And I was, um, I think either the first or second best athlete in, in points, in world ranking points. Um, but with getting injured, like I, didn't do so well in, um, you know, in some of the races, but the race I, I needed to do well in the actual qualifying to go to the Olympics, the actual races, one was in Japan and one was in Madeira in Portugal. And the one in Japan, I spent the night before the race in hospital with food poisoning. Hmm. And then the one in uh, Portugal. See, at this point, I've been racing so much to get these points that they wanted me to get so we could have three athletes to go to the Olympics. Um, I got to Portugal and I was exhausted and I ended up having you know, the low average race. So I didn't go. Mm. And yeah, even though I was one of the three spots in the top 50 in the world, I didn't go. I didn't, and that was really hard. It was, it was just, I was so that I, I kind of went through a bit of a depression at that point. Cause I, I trained and raced so hard and I ticked all the boxes and I did everything. I'd gone from like winning worlds, injured, got myself back in shape and all this, you know, and, I, I, I tried so hard and I, and I felt like I gave it everything, you know, and, and I, it just wasn't meant to be, you know, at the end of the day, it just wasn't meant to be. Is that what sort of um, pointed you so in yeah, the direction of, of doing some long course? Cause like it was, wasn't, it was a couple of years after that, but 2007, you won the ITU long distance world champs. Um, back then it looked like it was sort of dub, double Olympic. Was that sort of the rationale for going long? You know, it was coming up to Beijing. Was it not looking good for, for Beijing qualification? So w why was the sort of move to do some longer distance? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I kind of had, had my, uh, like fair share of disappointments with the Federation at this point, that being one of them. And, um, and then I was, you know, taken off funding cause I didn't do the races as well as they wanted me to do, even though at the time I did, like I, I ticked all the boxes. It was just very, because we didn't get like the result, the medal at the Olympics, the, the funding got slashed for triathlon. And I was like, 
uh, one of the athletes who got cut from funding. And I was just like, this is, this is again, like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> I can't mm. live trying to make Olympics and then depend on this, like, you know, funding system, which is only good if you're winning. And if you're not winning, like, even though you're the, the fundamental reason they have funding, you're an athlete, the people who have the actual jobs are the people who are the doctors, the PTs, the coaches, they have like an income which is reliable. We just, as athletes, always rely on funding and prize money and sponsorship endorsements, but it's only good if you're winning. And so, you know, when I was injured and all this, like, you know, I kind of lost sponsors. I couldn't earn money from racing. And then, you know, I... I was penalized because I couldn't race and eventually taken off funding. And I was just like, this is such a, like a dumb way to, to be an athlete. And I chose after that to um, start doing some long course races to earn money. Mm. And most that was all it was. It was just in the beginning, just to earn money. And I was, I was in an endurance machine. Like I could go out and I could train all day and I could recover and do it again and do, so I was like a really good candidate for racing long course. So I, I heard about the long ITU long distance world champs in Lorient in France. And I was like, huh, that might be a good one for me. Um, so I, I signed up to qualify. Like I had to get my federation to enter me because I'm still racing for Great Britain at this stage. Well, I still was all the way till I retired. But yeah, I'm st- still racing for Great Britain. I need, it's an IT race. So they have to enter me into the race and, um, and I didn't really think much of it. Like I was like, this is just a really good way to make money. <laughs> so I did the race and I won. And yeah, so that was like, huh, I'm actually good at this, this long distance stuff. And um, so then I was like, huh, what else can I do? And then I, I found, um, I'd go, I went over to the US to train with a friend in, um, first in Arizona, then in Colorado and she's like, let's do, let's, let's do some halves together and 70.3. They were called halves at the time, but you know, today it's 70.3. Mm, yeah. And, and they also had the 70.3 world champs. And, and I was like, huh, let's, let's, let's do that. And so, um, I ended up doing the 70.3 world champs. It was the first year it was in, um, 2006 in, um, Clearwater. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember, I think I, I can't remember if I was on the part. I think I might've got like third um but they gave i think the top three male and female slots to go to race in hawaii the ironman world champs the following year so my friend and i like all right let's do it let's sign up for the ironman in kona (laughs) so (laughs) yeah so we did we like then we're like doing 70.3s halves and then kona the following year was both of our first ironman ever um and my friend was sam mcglone she actually was second to chrissy wellington who won yeah. Um, and Chrissy, won, I raced Chrissy at Laurier in that, um, the ITU long distance, uh, the year before and I won and she was fifth. So, you know, it was like she a whole is beatable. Bunch of every, every, <laughs> every record I've seen of her is just ones everywhere. So there is a race where she got beaten. That's uh, good. The, yeah. To, but like, yeah. you know, the early days. <laughs> so <laughs> you, 2007 is your first Kona. You rock up and you, your friend Sam McGlone yeah. finishes in, in second, Chrissy Wellington's first win. Um, but yeah, it had an eighth place. So, I mean, were you, were you satisfied with your sort of debut in Kona and was it a race that you go, yep, this is the shit, I want to I do this race? Or was it, ah, uh, this, you know, what, what was your initial reactions to racing in Kona? <laughs> 
he was bloody awful. <laughs> it was so hard. And it was like, oh, man, I, when I reflect on that race, I mean, I did nothing right for a start. I'm doing my first Ironman. I'm like, oh, it's just easy. It'll be like four, four Olympic distances back to back. I can do that. I didn't really like understand the magnitude of this event. And I'd never run a marathon in my life. I don't think I'd run longer than like 20K in one go, maybe like 30 in I don't know. I don't think so. I think that the um, ITube long the year before was the double Olympics. I hadn't run that far. Um, so I really didn't understand what I was signing up for, honestly. Um, and I was, I remember like the race. I mean, I'm, I'm I think first out the water or somewhere thereabouts. And, you know, we started with the men back then and, you know, I'm like racing men cause you know, I'm, you know, this egotistical athlete who thinks they can beat all the boys. And, you know, I'm, I'm being a, such a dumb athlete. I'm a, like a competitor. Like I was so stupid and I've gone way too hard on the bike. I'm not eating anything at this point. Um, didn't even understand long distance nutrition. I'm like, my legs are like now solidly cramping and I haven't even finished the bike leg. I think I got to the um, maybe four or five miles to the finish of the bike and then Chrissy passes me on the bike and then Sam McGlone passes me and, and I'm like going nowhere at this point. I'm going backwards, but you know, still not, still not doing too bad. And then I, I put my shoes on to run and I, oh my God, my legs could barely, barely walk the alone run. And I remember I cried myself through like, the whole marathon. I was just crying. I was in so much pain. And I had the engine, so I actually didn't do a terrible marathon, but I just remember being in so much pain. And after that, like, I literally couldn't walk for a week. I, I, and, of course, every place you stay in in Kona is, like, stairs. And I had I could yeah. walk up and down these stairs, but I couldn't. I was, like, on my bum, and I'm, like, crawling up the stairs to get up <laughs> to this condo that we had. And oh, I was just like, this sucks. I don't think I want to do this. This is, this is not, like, my idea of racing and, and I was like I don't think this is like the hardest thing I've ever done and I, meant, <laughs> I think the 70.3 worlds was still coming up a few weeks after Kona and my I had an agent at the time Chris McQuarrie and he calls me up and he's like Leander you're gonna race and I was like no I can't I still can't even ride I can't even walk I'm still like so <laughs> sore and I'm like I don't think I can do the 70.3 worlds and he's like well I'll call you in a week before the race. I really think you should do it. And I was like, oh, man, I don't think I can. Anyway, you know, I think the 70.3 Worlds was three weeks after, two weeks before, the, or one week before the race, he calls me up. He's like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I think I'm, I'm actually feeling a lot better. I'm still really sore, but I'm, I'm now, I, I can now run and I can ride. He goes, great. I think you should book a flight and come and race. So I was like, fine, let's do it. So I went in over 70.3 worlds again in clear water. And I think I finished again on the podium somehow. <laughs> so, um, like my, yeah, my second 70.3 worlds. Um, but yeah, my, and I was like, I was so, and at this point I'm still like, there's no way I'm doing another Ironman. There's no way I'm putting myself through that again. That's just ridiculous. Um, and I think after about three months, I was like, just started to reflect on it. I was like, and I think maybe it was on TV at that point. I, they always air the, the, um, yeah. the NBC show like a few months later. And I saw, I think I watched it on TV and then I was like, huh, yeah, I think I could do that again. 
Mm -hmm. And I was just getting this like moment of like, God, I'm bloody badass for doing that. That's such an awesome achievement. And, and like, then I started to realize like, holy shit, I just ran a marathon after doing 112 miles on the bike. I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, And I just had this like sense of um, accomplishment that I never had like that in anything else I'd done. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to do this again. So yeah, that was it. I think after that, I was like, I'm going to keep going, keep doing Ironman. I'm going to win the Ironman. This is my thing. I was like, I I think I can win this one day, (laughs) but it took me a while, but I was like, I think I can win this one day. So there's a bit of roller coasters so that people listening that yeah, that was 2007 going into 2008, and it looked like you had some some good races going sort of through to 2012, and then 2011 you got third third in Kona. Um, but the big difference in 2012, and I went back and we actually interviewed you before the race. I think you were our first interview when we got off the plane in Hawaii, and it was at, at an old hotel <laughs> hotel. It's not even there. It was at the um, it's down Ali Drive. It used to be an Outrigger hotel. So I, mean, I remember it well, and I had a quick listen the other day so that was the big difference that made you made you win the race but uh, you know 2012 um again what what made the difference in terms of having some some good results sort of 2008 through to 2011 where you got third and then what gave you the the boost to actually win the race in 2012 i did think i i i figured out my recipe and every athlete has their own like races they do and keep you know, KPIs, key performance indicators and, um, and, you know, just what they need to do to see where they're at. And I was, I knew at this point, I'm, I knew I had I'd had a lot of bad races um, leading up to this. And I just knew like, okay, this has to change. This has to change this. I need to do better. You know, I just kind of had like a little bit of a roadmap to what I needed to do to be the best and it took me a, like a lot of trial and error and I think I got close to that in 2011 and I was like okay I just need to make one little change I felt my nutrition was just off in 2011 and that's what I changed going into 2012 it was just like the, the nutrition and um and that that is what made the difference and I wouldn't say like for me like uh, I'm a stubborn athlete I'm just a stubborn person in general and for me it, it's hard for me to like kind of accept that I'm wrong and and I need to make, do stuff to make myself better, which may mean, you know, going back to the drawing board and starting from scratch. And I had to do that a few times along the way to get to the Kona to be where I was. And, and it was just like that, those moments, which those like the light bulb moments that go off, it's like, Oh my God, I got it. Like I figured this out. And okay, next thing, what, <laughs> I figured out the running, I figured out like what I need to do. And I figured out the nutrition and I, now I'm figuring out the bike and I'm figuring out the pacing. And like, there was just so many like, like moving parts that I had to put in, in together, you know, in one machine. And that day like happened in Kona that year. And, and I knew like going into the race in 2012, I just knew like that week leading up was just like, everything was just working like clockwork. It was just like, it's so fun. Like sometimes you feel the stars align and it just, they did that year. And, and that was the only year they really did, to be honest, but they did. And um, even though despite in the race, I had a, um, a penalty, I still like kept my shit together. And I was like, I can still win this race, which given that it was a four minute penalty and that's a huge time mm-hmm. to make up, I still didn't like, I still didn't fall apart. I still had the mindset like, okay, like worst case, I'm going to be second. <laughs> that's literally what I'm thinking to myself as I'm sitting in the penalty tent. Um, but I was still like, 
no, I'm still, I've still got this. Like I hadn't, I wasn't panicking. I wasn't like deterred from the goal. Like I really, I still knew like I had everything um, to have the best race that day. And yeah, that's kind of, it happened. I was very annoyed because I, I went and tried to it find. A, like it, it took a long time to Sorry. So I was trying to find the coverage of it the race the other day, and it's like every year of Kona seems to be on YouTube somewhere except 2012. <laughs> and I was, cause I, but it looked like it was – and we were there, but we've been there plenty of times. It was a very close race in the females' um, race. So you had Caroline Stephan um, and yourself were, were very close together, and you've always got Miranda Carfrey, um, you know, who could – tear out somebody to our 50 marathon so maybe just sort of talk us through the day and, and I'm interested to know you know how your mind is a bit different when you're in the race to win versus you know often in Kona it's about survival on the run so maybe just talk us through the race and and what's sort of going through your mind um, as you go through the different stages of the race okay so um, I think you know, I'm going to take you back a few, few days before the race when I had like these key race, key workouts, which were like, I nailed them, I nailed them, I nailed them. And I was just like, and then also I remember my very last workout, it was probably like one or two days before. It was a, it was a hard swim workout. And my coach Siri at the time was like, she's giving me this swim and everyone else in the race, because she'd coached like maybe five or six athletes doing Kona, we're all doing this workout. And I was like, I just stopped and was like, yeah, I'm getting out. She's like, wait, what? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm done. I don't need to do anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, I just, it just came over me. It's like, I, I just need to like absorb this now. Like I just knew. And then she was like, oh, okay. And you know, everyone else just keeps swimming and is looking and is like, what, what was that about? You know, but I just like, I just had this sense. It's like, I'm done. I need, I need to now stop training. I, I, nothing I can do now is going to make me any better. I'm just, I'm ready. I'm ready to race. And so I just like, not many times have I ever had that feeling where I just need to like stop and just like say, um, I'm as like I've marinated in all the training. I can't, this, this piece of meat's not going to taste any better. Like take it out of the sauce. Like that for me was what, where I was. And so, um, so going in on the race morning, I, I was just like really joyful and just happy and like very free and like relaxed and, for me, I'm always the last person getting in the water. I, I, I get cold really easy. And so I just stand on the beach and everyone's like out there treading water at the swim start. And I'm just standing on the beach waiting. So I'm like, okay, now it's time. Like it's like three minutes before the start. And I swim over to the start, gun goes off. Um, I mean, pretty good swim. I can't really remember much about the swim. I probably came in like maybe the fourth or fifth athlete in a, amongst the girls and, um, jumped on the bike and it was just like this feeling of like jumping on the bike and just having like these, my legs just like nothing felt like an effort, right? Like I'm riding and I'm like, wow, my legs are really good. And just paying particular attention to like nutrition, just like all these things, which in the past didn't work out so well. And that was like, for me, like such a key to like that race going so well and just like getting the nutrition in well, not like cooking myself. I didn't have a heart rate monitor. I don't have a bike computer. I don't have power. I'm just like going all by feel. I, it's always how I've raced. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know that feeling where I'm going, if I'm pushing too hard, I just, you know, I'm very intrinsic that way. I feel my body and how, how I need to be racing. And so I'm just feeling my body out. Like I just know where I need to be on the bike and how hard. And actually I was the one dictating the pace. Like everyone was like, just 
going like as hard as I was pushing and I thought I wasn't going that hard, but clearly I was, right? Because we ended up dropping a lot of the girls on the bike and get up to Harvey. Um, now it's between, there's like myself, um, Caroline Stefan and Mary Beth Alice, like the three of us are riding together. Um, and, <laughs> and then on the way down Harvey, um, I went to pass Caroline Stefan. This is where my drafting penalty comes in, right? I don't even know if it's a drafting penalty. I think it was actually a blocking penalty. But I go to pass Caroline Stefan on the downhill down Harvey. And I'm like, oh, crap, I've got no more gears left. Like, I literally can't pedal any harder to get past Caroline Stefan. And, and, like, I get to, like, her, I think maybe I pass her half a wheel. And then I'm like, oh, God, I can't, I can't, literally can't go any faster. And she's not letting me go any, like, I have to go faster. She's not letting me go any, like, slower to pass her. So I'm like, I, have, I, I can't, what do I do here? And so my only option was to, like, drop back. And that's yeah. a blocking penalty. And so, you know, I didn't think they saw me because no one pulls me over. I've gone like another 20 miles, like all the way down Harvey, up, up that, you know, steep bit coming back on the Queen K. And, and then the motorbike comes by and I was like, shit, oh. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, look, I, 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 I like, okay, fine. I knew, I knew that was a penalty. Like I, I know the rules enough to like, if someone saw me, I'm going to get a penalty. And they did. And I was like, okay, I just have to suck it up. So the penalty was at like, I think it was um, Waimea, yeah. Waikoloa, whatever Waikoloa. that. Yeah, Waikoloa. That penalty tent there is. And yeah, so I'm in the penalty tent and just waiting it out. And just like, like I said earlier, I'm not getting worried at this point. Sam McGlone, funnily enough, the person who came second that first year over did Kona, she was there. And she starts talking to me and like, we're actually kind of having a laugh at this point. You know, she's retired. She's now a doctor and she's just like chatting to me in the penalty tent, um, which was kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like one of those kind of um, surreal moments, you know, like this, this is the weird that this person who I started my Ironman career with is like at this pinnacle moment in, in yeah. the race, like kind of talking to me, you know. Um, and so anyway, served my penalty, went off, finished the ride. I came out of the transition with Mary Beth Alice, which was, I was like, that's strange. So turns out she ended up having a, a drafting penalty <laughs> um, that she had to serve in transition. And I should also mention Caroline Stefan had one earlier in the bike. Um, <laughs> so we all three of us at this point, first three ladies, we all had penalties. So, you know, end up being a level playing field if you want to look at it that way. So we go out onto the run and I mean, I just, I didn't feel great. I didn't feel terrible either. And I just knew I was going to find my legs. So I was just settling into a nice steady pace to begin with. And Mary Beth Alice is on my shoulder. She like, we're running stride for stride all the way along Elihi. And then finally, as we go up Polani, up to head, heading out onto the Queen K, like she, she starts fading. And for me, I was just like starting to feel stronger and stronger. At this point, I'm like, oh my gosh, like now I really feel like I'm running, right? And I think maybe about um, 15 or 10 to 15 miles in, um, like I get like the, the cameras are on the bike filming me. I see the helicopter. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I'm always about <laughs> women getting in the media and all I'm thinking is like, oh, yes, I'm on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. For me, it was just like, great. Um, and so, you know, they're filming me and, and I had no idea what was going on at this point. 
So I'm running and I get down into the energy lab, do the U-turn at the energy lab. And then I see like Marinda's not that far behind me. I was like, oh God, she's not that far behind me. And then I also saw like how far behind Caroline Stefan was, I was. And I was like, huh, I know I've made up time on Caroline Stefan. I don't want Marinda to catch me. I'm pretty confident. Like I can try and catch Caroline. And again, I was like, at this point, I know Marinda, how well she runs. It's like, the chances are she could catch me. So I come out of the energy lab and I see, I think the time deficit from um, Caroline was a minute and a half, something like that. And I was like, okay, I've got about six miles to go. I need to run like 15, 20 seconds a mile quicker to catch Caroline before it gets you know, to the point where it's too late. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to like shift it up a gear. So again, I'm not, I don't have a, a pace watch. I just like, I'm going by feel. I'm just like, you know, I just, increase what my perceived effort is a little bit enough. And then I start seeing Caroline in the distance. And at this point, by the way, I've totally forgotten Marinda was ever there. Like I'm just <laughs> focused now on Caroline. I was like, I've got this carrot out in front of me and I'm going to go catch it. And I'm gradually like creeping up and getting closer to Caroline. And, and like, you know, maybe one or two miles later, I'm like, I can literally like see her, like everything she's doing. And she pulls up to this, um, this aid station, right? And instead of like just running through and grabbing a cup, she stops and she grabs a whole bottle of water and she just pours the whole thing over her head. I'm like, oh, she's done. Like, mm. I'm just, I can tell everything I'm reading into that. I'm like, she's toast. And so I was like, all right, I'm actually going to do the same thing because I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> so I grab a bottle of water pull the whole thing over me and then I took off and I was literally like I just like went went falls to the walls and I like caught her and I didn't stop I was like I, I was like shit I just can't slow down now that I've caught her and passed her I was like I have to keep going because I'm like this is like the biggest race of our careers like if if I'm gonna like win this I she's gonna try and fight for me the whole way like fight that to the finish the whole way and so I just kept going and I, I remember like just like Oh, running as hard as I possibly could. And, and any time you run down that, you know, that Palani Hill, it's, mm. it's brutal, right? My legs are toast at this point. My legs are so sore and cramping and all sorts, but I'm just like bombing it down this, this hill. And I get to the turn and I'm still like sprinting my ass off to the finish line. I'm not even looking behind me. I'm just like, I'm still like, I, I, I just thought like she was right on my shoulder. I thought she'd be right there. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I crossed the line, I win, and it was just like this, the most like surreal experience winning. And, and yeah, I, I mean, to this day, it like, still gives me goosebumps. I'm just like, the sensation is just incredible, right? Like the music, the drums, the people, the, the screaming. It's just like, yeah, it's just like that thing you see on TV and then like, oh my God, it's happening to me. Yeah. And so I finish and I get over the finish line and then, you know, I, I wait for Caroline and I'm, you know, I just like, it was kind of this, weird moment where I'm like, like, you know, you've won, but you know, you've taken it away from someone else. It's, it's just a very, um, it, yeah, it's a hard feeling to explain. Like I'm super happy and I'm like super excited and it's just like great. Like this, and this is also this kind of subtle, sad feeling. It's just like, this is this great day for me, but then someone else's loss. Right. Mm. Um, yeah, and it was it was kind of weird that way. And then you know, I see my sister, and I'm um, still hasn't really sunk in to the extent that I like. 
that I've just won this huge, huge raise. My, my brother and sister were there watching. They'd come over from, there was, you know, my sister from the UK, my brother from, um, I don't know where he was living at the time. Maybe he was living in Finland. Um, and so they're there watching and, you know, I'm like, my, my sister's like, God, oh, I've got to call mom and dad. And so I'm, like, so we're like behind like this, this truck and like, she's calling mom and dad. I'm like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, holy, you know, I started swearing, holy F, I'm, I've just won. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh my God. Um, and yeah, and I'm calling mom and dad and they're all there. Everyone's been watching it online or on TV or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's been, um, yeah, it's, yeah, this, that crazy whole thing was just, yeah, really, yeah, amazing, like this whole experience. But yeah, even to this day, like I'm still a little like, I know that's racing and that's what part of racing is. It's just like you, to win, someone's got to lose. But this, it's always like this, um, and I think this bond that Caroline and I have is just like that, there's this connection you have with someone like who you beat in that, that, that big race, right? And when you're, when you're the bridesmaid, like over and over and like this, like the day like she was so close to winning and I ended up taking that away from her it's just like mm. yeah I, it, it still sits with me today it's like you know I have a very soft spot in my heart for Caroline um, even though we're very fierce competitors and like that like I said that's professional racing it's just something that you you know it's, you, you feel for people that way so, I do. so 2012 is a pinnacle and you, we've got to mention as well, you won the 70.3 worlds as well. Good so it was, a, it was a pretty solid year. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I did that. And you seem to do extremely well in the heat because the world's, your world's win was in Vegas. Kona's obviously hot as anything and, and your ITU win was in Cancun as well. So that's bloody impressive. Um, what was life like after 2012 you know you, you had lots of really good results you had Ironman wins but you never seemed to be able to do it again in Kona um what did what was what, what was this your sort of triathlon career like post 2012 through to 2017 yeah it's kind of crazy actually I after winning you know it's I I didn't handle it very well I didn't handle the I didn't handle the exposure, the popularity, all that stuff. I, um, the commitments, I'm a yes person. I said yes to too much and I was injured very quickly after winning in Kona and I should have been prioritizing getting better and I didn't. And just so many things just like spiraled out of control. Um, and yeah, I, it was very disappointing, actually. You, know, you go from being on such a high, and I was—I I went down really low, like to such a low place. Like with this injury, this torn hamstring, and just like having—I was dealing with that for a year because I was just so overcommitted with so much other stuff. Instead of like saying, "Guys, I can't travel to Europe or to, to you know, South Asia or wherever these places I end up," I, I should have said no to all of it and just said, "I got to fix my hamstring." Um, so, you know, I, I didn't, I said yes to all these things. I was traveling everywhere, not getting it diagnosed, not getting it treated. Not, and so, so much time went on um, to the point where in the end, I, it took me over a year to get it fixed, at least get it diagnosed as being torn. And at that point, you know, as the year's gone and I've tried to band-aid it with like cortisone, a cortisone injection. I raced Kona again with it. And it's just, yeah, just a horrible year, 2013. Um, I mean, I had some good sponsors that came in, but again, like I couldn't live up to that. I couldn't live up to what the, the sponsors were, were expecting of a, you know, Ironman world champion. <laughs> mm. So that was disappointing. Um, 
And so, you know, it was, it, there's just a lot of things which I didn't handle very well. And obviously in hindsight I would have done better, but, and, you know, I, I actually offer advice now if I see anyone going down this route, which I did, but, um, but yeah, I, I didn't handle myself or my, my situation very well. And so eventually when I did get things right with my body, um, you know, I'd lost a lot of those sponsors or they were, you know, paying me way less, <laughs> mm. but I just start racing again, started racing. Okay. Started, I tried out for the Commonwealth games in 2014. That was, that was a bit of a fail. Um, I, again, I thought, you know, given my age, I was older, but still racing really well. I was still winning. I won some, some, uh, IT points races and, did exactly what they asked in terms of qualification, but they didn't select me um, on the grounds that um, Helen and um, who else? Hel- Helen and Non Stanford. They decided they didn't want a third person on the team because they felt they didn't need a domestique. Which I wasn't trying to be a domestique. I thought I could actually do really well at the Commonwealth Games. Um, so I didn't go, and neither did they in the end because they both got injured. So no one from Wales <laughs> went, which was oh, really ironic. Yeah. Um, that made a, made a bit of a, you know, bit of news yeah. um, at the time. Um, and then, you know, I tried, I, I'd say I actually got in better shape than I'd ever been in 2015, better than 2012. Um, and then I crashed in Kona and that was that really. And that was, that was for me, was, that was going to be my swan, swan song. I was going to have the best race of my life in Kona, um, win again. I honestly could have said I was going to do it again. And I crashed and, um, and yeah. And then after that, I was just like, Oh, what am I doing? This is every, nothing's working anymore. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, again, went through a, a patch of depression and, uh, and then I was just like, okay, I'm, I've still got some good sponsorship money coming in. I'm still earning some decent money. I don't know what I'm doing next after triathlon. So I started to like, think a lot about okay what's my exit strategy i wanted i thought it was time like i i was how old was i at this point i think i was like 36 or 37 i think i was 37 and i was like okay i need to like think about retiring i don't want to retire now because i can't i can't afford it (laughs) so i was like i need to work out an exit strategy so I started coaching and I started to um, get my coaching accreditation and things like that i started to get athletes so that I could coach and then build up this coaching business that I was doing alongside racing. And then at the end of 2017, I decided to retire. And then I had this um, coaching business, which is what I do now. Um, I had that to fall back on. And, you know, what I'm doing right now is, is still the coaching. So nice. for me, that's kind of what happened in those last few years. But honestly, after 2015, I think I, I lost... I lost the love, but I was so I was I wasn't winning races anymore. I was I just you know from at the beginning of our conversation, I was that that energy I got from winning races and that I don't know motivation. That's what I was the drive. That's why I love doing the sport, and that's what gave me you know the means and the goals. And when I realized I'm I'm not able to do that anymore, not because I'm not training hard or I'm doing everything I can. I've just, I'm just old. I'm not mm. as young as I used to be. And yeah, that reality set in and my used by date I felt was up. And I was just really at that point in those last two years doing everything I could to still perform well, but really working on like 
the next thing. Like, what am I doing after I retire? Did I, did um, I see yeah. somewhere that you're, that uh, like are you doing actions. Ultraman or not? Oh, I was. Okay. That's, I thought I'd go for title number five or title number five. Um, the retired, not retired athlete that I am. Yeah. Um, and I was doing really well. I was training really well for that earlier in this year. Um, and then I got hit by a car door and, and fractured my pelvis. Oh, geez. Oh, God. And yeah, um, that put me out for eight weeks, got back into training. Um, then I ended up getting a compensation injury in my lower back. Another five weeks off, which I just started getting back to training, running. And then the, of the qualifier, we only have one qualifier we can do in um, the US or in like North America, I should say, because yeah. it's actually in Canada. And that's literally a month from now. And I'm barely running six miles. And yeah. to run 52 miles is just, I, I can't do it. So I haven't actually announced that I've, not, I've pulled out. I've actually, I've actually deferred my entry to next year, but... Yeah, essentially, I, that's that's where we're at right now. Now, if they want to let me in on a wild card into the World Champs in in Kona in November, I'll totally take it. But um, yeah. they've got some very strict rules with Ultraman, and that's not how they operate. So, yeah. um, you know, take a I don't even think as much sweet talking as I could do to the organisers, they would let me in. But I'm yeah. going to try. <laughs> nice. I'm going to try. So if you see me there in November, you, you know, I've, well. I've, I've managed to, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, otherwise, you know, it'll be something on the cards for next year. Anything else you want to get out there? Like you said, you're doing your coaching um, and maybe just tell us where you're based. So if people are listening and they want to tap into that and, and anything else you want to get off your chest, anything people haven't asked you over the years or any influential people or anything like that that you, what you sort of want to acknowledge? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I, what right now I'm working on is um, my fiance and I, we started Club Leander Cave and that's kind of this like triathlon club movement. We're, we've started in Miami. We're currently in New York promoting it. We're going to go to Colorado. And um, so that's something we're doing now, like to bring this community of triathletes, like-minded people together and not just another club, but I just think we're, we're, we're trying to like be – a little bit different and um, kind of create a more, uh, not just a community of athletes, but also a community of coaches because I don't feel there's a one shoe fits all in terms of coaching. And that's why I think it's important for other coaches to learn and um, get experience from, you know, each other. Right. So, so it's not just about being a community of athletes. I really, I try to like bring in that this whole aspect is like, I encourage other, other coaches to, to work together, not just be very um, protective of their their clientele and their their athletes, but share share information, share knowledge. And with our club, that's what we're we're doing with training camps, training weekends, group workouts, and all those things that we we combine different coaches and also athletes in in one place. Um, so that's what we're doing with Club Leander Cave. Um, so that's on Instagram, and there's also a website for anyone who wants to look into that more and join. Um, and it's not just going to be based in the U.S. It's going to be global. But right now, we're, you know, we're focusing um, nationwide here in the U.S. Uh, and then from, um, you know, my, my coaching, my, I do my own private coaching. I coach um, private clients. I also have my own coaching business on the side. Like I mentioned earlier, um, I work for a company, Pikas. It's an AI coaching app. So I'm also a coach on the app and the head coach of um, the company on the app. Um, 
I'm working on a, um, a protein recovery product with um, another former pro athlete, uh, Lisa Roberts. So we're, mm. we're working on that. It's a little side COVID project that we started working on last year and we're in formulation right now. So hopefully we can launch that in the near future. Um, so watch that, watch this space there. Nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, some other things. Yeah. So that's, you know, um, and in terms of like people who have helped me on the way, I mean, like, I, I, I feel like my rock, has been my family leading up to where I am now. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of great people come and go through my career, through my life, coaches, um, Chris Jones being one of my early coaches, Cliff English, Siri Lindley, all great people um, have helped me along the way. Um, I've had, but I feel like the, the common theme across the board would be like my sister flew always to come to Cone. I mean, okay, Kona, it's kind of nice, but mm. you know, she was there for me. Like she was always there coming to anywhere she could to watch me race, to support me, to cheer me on my brother my parents, like my poor mommy got up at stupid hours every morning to wake us up, drive us to school. Like, you know, those days when, you know, being a professional athlete wasn't even, a, you know, in the back of my mind, right? Like, you know, all these little things that have contributed to, to me where I am today. So I'd say like, you know, family that that's been like, my my crutch the whole time is being an athlete through all the good and the bad <laughs> nice i love you love your story it was awesome the one last question i always love to ask is how would you like to be remembered as a pro as, an, as a triathlete i want to say a fair and honest um athlete uh fair and honest competitor yeah nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. very good and cool. so you carry on <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. I just, that's just, I feel like, you know, I'm, I've always been kind and um, respected my competition along the way. And I, I hope other athletes do that in a, you know, in a similar way. I think when you can hold your head up high and know that you've always played by the rules, you've never cheated, you've always respected your competition, you've always respected your fans, your, your sponsors. Um, yeah. And you can walk away from being a professional athlete and still maintain those, those good relationships with all of the above. Like, I think that's really important. Yeah, nice, nice work. Thanks so much for your time and guys, uh, especially you guys that are new to the sport, you've just heard from one of our awesome legends. So thanks very much, Leander. Thank you so much for having me. It's been real fun. You know what's really great interview? Mm. What an interesting life! And I would encourage you. I start went back and started listening to our 2012 interview that we oh, did really? with her in Kona, and it was good. And she has a just slightly different um, perspective back then. She puts the old boot into the Olympic distance, saying Ironman's real, real stuff, uh, <laughs> and it was good. Um, and I, I didn't listen to all of it, but she. she were the reason she won? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I just remember her, in that time. interview. She was. Uh, I just remember going into that hotel and we were just in the lobby and uh yeah she was pretty relaxed about it all and pretty jokingly she had just seen and, and as you heard then she was just in the right space yeah. uh from a training perspective from a headspace perspective and she had an awesome career you know she wasn't necessarily one of those athletes that won a stack load of races but she won the big races but she won the big races yeah. and, and we didn't really discuss a lot of the other ones that she had you know winning things like alcatraz and, yeah. and, and races like that because when you've won kona that's what most people want to hear about but you know, she did win a lot of races but she didn't win a lot of Konas and stuff but when you win Kona when you win 70.3 Worlds and when you win Olympic Distance Worlds 
That's she was a complete legit. athlete in, mm. in the sport, wasn't she? Like, how mm. many people have done what she's done? Mm. Oh, very, very, very few, you know. Uh, I'd say Fredino didn't. He didn't get a world title. Um, Although you could argue the Olympics count as that. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's true. Um, but when you go through the... Yeah, the history books, you know, people like Marinda Carfrey, awesome 70.3, um, amazing Ironman. Chrissy never did it over the short distance. Daniela did um, Daniela's got lots of 70.3s. No, but not short. Not short. She was no. good, but she wasn't um, great. wasn't uh, great. So, yeah, impressive Do you career. know what I found really interesting is, is how quickly you forget, like Sam McGlone. Mm. Like, I forgot all about that name. If you'd said, mm. where did she get in Kona? Mm. I said, oh, maybe top 10. Mm. You know, I forgot that she got second. Mm. You know, like, just, it's amazing. And that was only like seven or eight years ago. Well, not probably 10 years ago now. But, yeah. you know, like, it's amazing. Times go quick. It was actually 14 years ago now that I think about Jeez. it. We're getting old, Bevan. Yeah, we're, we're getting old. We can't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so, yep. Uh, you know, we'll put a link to her website if you want to go check out what she does. Uh, let's do Wanger of the Week. Okay, number uh, f- number four. Oh, hold on. Okay, why are you going number four? Well, because the Cricket World Cup final... I was going to ask for a cricket, something along the cricket. ...is yep. playing right now. Now, for those who don't know of cricket, New Zealand is... We're in the best time ever. In, it's peak New Zealand cricket, mm-hmm. Bill Russell would say, big, big Simons would say. Um, Simmons, sorry. Um, we just got our best team we've ever had, and we're playing the Test World Cup final right now. First day was a bit of a kind of either way. Second mm-hmm. day we came out, and we did so well. Although then, the bloody weather, and then third day it's been rained out, and the first day got rained out. But there's an extra spare day, so instead of just having five days, I've gone for a six-day competition. And unfortunately, what that means is there's a high chance there won't be a result. Now, if there's no result, it's a draw, isn't it? it must be. Yeah. I think this year, it, yeah, and um. But we're in the position, like if there's five days and you're a betting person, you're putting the money on us now. Mm. So uh, so I'm going four because it's only going to be four days instead of five. Right. Yeah. And I just, God, I want us to win. Mate, almost just shove it up the Australian cricket captain's ass. He said, oh, and and India are going to smoke them. And I'm like, right. We're a great team, but it's not a fluke we're here. Yeah. Like, admittedly, COVID helped us. Yeah. But we, like, like we were saying earlier, we're one of the teams that should be in that final. Mm. And we're proving that we can win this thing. Sonia Pippen. Sonia Pippen. She rode 25 hours and 28 minutes. She's been a wanger the week before, but... Sonia Pippen does the yards and never really has time off. Yeah. You look at her quiet months. She's in, in uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, I remember, I think she emailed me a while ago. I think she has quite a bit of commuting as well, but she's done a... She's 80, 83 Ks on uh, in Watopia today. Got up at 5.04 a.m., cranked it out, 84 Ks. And then... Did, uh, and then wrote 30 k's to work. Nice work, very good. Although the way she goes to work seems pretty strange. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at that map, <laughs> I think maybe she does a route that gets. So, so she's averaging 15 rides a week, um, averaging 849 kilometers a week, and averaging 28 hours and 30 minutes per week on the. This is on the bike, so she's not doing any running or any swimming at the moment, just biking the house down. And that's pretty impressive. Good photos. Looks like a beautiful spot we see trains. In Reno. Yeah. 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 Got the big palm trees. Okay. Uh, Sonia Pippen, you are our winger of the week. Okay. Jumbo, just lastly, we've just got, oh, we've just taken it out. I took it out. Okay. Because we went long with the interview. No, no, we went long, but we had a long interview of uh, Leander Cave. So we Mm -hmm. decided to take the questions and answers out. So we'll get them to you next week. Jumbo, let's do our patrons. You go first. Our fantastic patrons. And one of the things that patronage does, it means we get to go to Kona 
normally every second year uh, and produces shows over there, which is hopefully for you guys a highlight of the year because we I think we do some some good stuff over there. So mm-hmm. pa- if you want to join our patrons program, uh, it helps us make that happen. It's not going to happen this year because we still can't get back into our country. Um, but next year we will hopefully be back there. Yeah, okay. uh, Gear Golden Shoes, Ole Johansson. I got Grant, the King of Swing Richards. Michael, the King of the Castle, Morpeth. And we got Richard Stinger Ray. That's a nice. good one. Yeah. <laughs> the Ray spelled R A E, but still Stinger Ray's bloody genius. If you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Go on the page, support us. As John was saying, get us the Kona. You get a gift. You, it's all good. It's just and, and ultimately, it's just supporting the show. And if you are a patron, thank you for being a patron. If you want to get your email to you, just in the same place, down the bottom of the front page. For coaching, coachjohnmewson.com. For my podcast, I've got an interview of a book writer by the name of Dr. Paul Wood, and it's called Mental Fitness. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed the book, and I'm interviewing and releasing next Monday. Uh, other content, cool websites, Age group of the week, other feedback, you can email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. Well, I'm pretty happy it's sunny out there because we had a shit-ass weekend over here and we were stuck inside and I let, I might have already said this, I let my kids buy a PlayStation, uh, not a PlayStation, X, Xbox. Fair move. Well, it's quite a good move for me because I get to play <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite game? Well, we haven't got many, but we've got Formula One. It's really hard and I'm really shit at it. And better. Thomas is really good at it now oh. and so it can't even be close. And now Felicity's basically the same as me as well. Oh, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to practice a bit on this game. And then you start getting What time sucked. do the kids go to bed at night? Uh, we have pretty pretty early in our house. They're going down at sort of 7, 7.30. Not usually in sleep and t- a little bit after that, but... Did you jump on afterwards? No, no, that that's would be a no. <laughs> that's when you need to do yards. I know. You know? So then you get sucked into the Formula One world and you start watching the Formula One. And again, they do... Big race yesterday. That's a, they do an amazing job and there's gazillion dollars involved in that sport yep. uh, in terms of doing highlights packages and making it look incredibly exciting. When If you actually go and watch a full race, not that exciting. Have you been? Uh, no, no. How do you know it's so exciting? Well, no, if you no, not in person, but like if you watch the full race on TV, oh, okay, as opposed to watching the, the highlights package. Yeah. But I love that if you haven't want something good to watch, that Formula One series yeah, on Netflix is awesome. It. Yeah. So and then you get to know the characters, and that's a bit like what PTO are doing. You try to learn the athletes, and now yeah. I could name just about all the bloody Formula One drivers, uh, and you know a little bit about each one. So it sort of pulls you in. So it's good. And Tour de France is coming up soon, so I'm excited about that. I just had an email in from um, Phil Liggett. Uh, no, from uh, from over in Australia. I'm going to set up a virtual oh, league. Vir- virtual league for the Tour de France. Oh. I just signed up my team this morning. I think I've got a pretty <laughs> Pretty ropey team because you only get a certain amount of credits. And yeah. so I've gone for some good hitters and then I've got a lot of really average riders. So I'll probably get my pants pulled down. Uh, so if you want to get involved with the Tour de France, go to our Facebook page and I'll share a link to the um, to the little league that I set up. Bevan, what's happening for you? I had a cold shower today. I had one last night. Because oh, I love a hot shower. Mm. You know, especially when your kicks is cold. So I taught at the gym, did a workout this morning, came home, John comes around. And so I jumped in the shower because I was a bit cold. And I was like, it doesn't matter because I've been wearing my work clothes from the gym because I did a bit of work first. Jumped in the shower, didn't get warm. And I was waiting for it to get warm. And then uh, we're trying to figure out what was happening to the gas. So even now my knees are still cold. You're still standing there nutty going, Joe, Joe, come and help me. Come and do, what's happening to the gas outside? <laughs> so I've got cold knees still, so that wasn't good. But I'll tell you one thing. Have you ever binged watched a show? 
Um, and when I mean binge watch, you turn it on when you watch the whole series at one time. Probably not quite the whole series, and so, but we we certainly binge watch some series where you might do a couple of episodes a night now and once or twice, and maybe down the whole bit. What's what, no. what, what ones have you binged? Um, we're sort of binging our way through Blacklist at the moment, which is a lot of episodes. We, in that we, we started what we watched the first couple. We, we couldn't buy into it, but even raves, we we should have persisted because people love it. Yeah, no, it's good. So, what did you binge watch? You've got to you've got to do it. Trust mm. me, you've got to do it. It's called Ted Lasso. It's on Apple TV. So they give you a free week. I've, I've been there, done that, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll give you another one. Use Belinda's Different name. email address. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it won like the Emmy for, it's kind of like a light comedy, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a heart of gold. So the basic premise is, is Jason, I think it's Jason Sudeikis. He's the main character, Ted Lasso. And uh, Lasso, I think it is. And he's an American gridiron kind of high school coach who's done well. Mm-hmm. And some Premier League team actually wants to fail, so they employ him to become the coach of a football team in the, in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, we sat down Friday afternoon because I'd watched it. Friday was crappy, and I like mm. I often went on a Friday to watch a movie in here and and drop down the big screen and watch the movie. And um, Joe went out and did some stuff, and she came watch the last ten minutes of the movie, and she said, "Oh, I feel like watching something." I said, "Oh, there's this thing called Ted Ted Lasso, and apparently it's really good." So we watched the first half an hour. Mm. Five hours later. <laughs> we finished the series right like, and, and it was that good seriously yeah. it's got a heart of gold you just feel so good but it's funny as it's a bit edgy at times your kids could probably watch it mm-hmm. but there is it is a little bit edgy but your kids are probably of an age where it can um but highly highly recommend mm-hmm. I've, I've never watched i've never like i've had series which are you know you might watch two episodes in a night mm. you know or you might watch the last one but i've never binged watch and it was literally after every episode joe and i look at one more <laughs> so highly highly recommend it so that, that's kind of my buzz other than that i am gonna have a late night tonight cricket you know mm. how many times in my life are we gonna get in a final mm. of something like this what's the weather forecast looking like bloody hell man i think, I think such, it's gonna be better it's five days of rain south the good thing is the wicket is pretty hard so it is one of those matches which could be done in four days yeah so that's the only encouraging thing. It's looking a bit better tomorrow. For, so if you're listening to the show right now, what for us to win, we need to bet well today. <clears throat> Basically bet kind of, well, we've only got 400. Well, we're going to have to go crazy for it mm. because we've got, we're 100, they're 115 here. So we need to, because we're not going to, we need to bowl them out. I mean, how much time do we need to bowl them out? A day and a bit. Oh, so we're going to have to do that. Oh, we're going to have to go out there in like 2020. Good, good, good couple of good days of weather coming up. Oh, there we go. Go the new, go the black caps. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.